Welcome to The Wayne Nicholson Show, where our guests share their fascinating stories. If you have any questions or would like to DM us, we would love to hear from you. We also have a YouTube channel and a Facebook page. This episode is brought to you by Egypt Fun Tours. Now, I always said if Indiana Jones was to take a tour throughout Egypt, then Egypt Fun Tours would be the company he would book through. I can vouch personally having booked this company when traveling to Egypt in 2019. If you are looking for a professionally guided service which is knowledgeable, fun and sometimes off the beaten track, then you can't beat Egypt Fun Tours. You see, my wife and I went with the private tour which was personalized to our own interests and needs which you can do with Egypt Fun Tours. We travelled from the south visiting beautiful Abu Simbel right up to the magical Alexandria. We got to spend alone time, would you believe, in the King's Chamber of the Great Pyramid as well as camping with the Bedouins in the White Desert. We learned how to read hieroglyphs and we visited the beautiful temples of Abydos and Dendera which sometimes is not included on tours. So for more information on Egypt Fun Tours check out their Facebook page, Egypt Fun Tours, or their website, egyptfuntours.com. This episode is also brought to you by Delhi's Continental. From just one pop-up and one sandwich, their reputation spread quickly, selling out whatever they prepared in 20 minutes. Boasting their Continental rolls are the best in Australia with every ingredient fresh and made in-house. Now, within months, these two owners, Stead McCluder and Aldo Putsu, had already graced the pages of magazines, websites and newspapers. Rumours are now stirring that this could be big. If you are interested in what all the fuss is about, and you are lucky enough to live in Perth, Western Australia, why not head down to Delhi's Continental, number 2 861 Beaufort Street, Inglewood, with their grand opening set to be this summer 2021. For more information, you can check out their Instagram and Facebook page, Delhi's Continental. I remember as a kid switching on TV and seeing these huge giants of WWE wrestling and WrestleMania when it first came to Australia. My father and I were huge fans and he still is. And of course, we knew it to be somewhat staged on who the winner was going to be. Yet every Friday, same time, we would watch anyway. But what changed everything for me was watching the movie The Wrestler and Mickey Rourke's award-winning and grueling portrayal of an aging wrestler in that back alley grunge world of wrestling that we don't get to see. So today I have someone on the show who can explain that world to me firsthand. Mark Cometti is a working actor, sports broadcaster and former WWE pro wrestler aka the Outback Silverback. Mark Cometti, yeah. how are you, man? Very well, very yeah. well. Good to good to spend some time and actually have a decent chat. Like I've only uh, we've crossed paths just briefly during right. a, an acting class. Right, I've heard of the legend of Wayne Nicholson. So, <laughs> so you know, you heard it, wrong, mate. Well, no, I, I saw it firsthand too, mate. So you know, you enjoyed uh, the class? Yeah, of course. I yeah. love Shanta, as you know. Yeah, um, we've been working a while together, so. And obviously her connection with your family is massive as well. So it was just, it was cool sort of meeting you finally and, and getting to put a face to that side of things. Sure, sure. So it was, uh, it was cool. I have heard yes. that, speaking of that, um, over a course of a year, yeah, you've had a lot of growth mm -hmm. talking to Shana. Right. As in the curve 
the learning and what you've achieved in a year has been pretty good. Right. Like, you know, I don't, I didn't know you at all. Yeah. And I walked away going, well, you know, you've got, you can tell when somebody's got something. Right. It happens. I'm quite sure what that is. No, but I'm you know, there is a presence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't because of your size mm-hmm. or anything like that. It was just like you, you held the silences at the right times. Right. You know, there's an old, um, I, there's an old Arabic, um, proverb. I, I always go to it with acting and it says that only speak the words when the words hold more power than your silence. Mm, and beautiful. it's, yeah. And it's just it's sort of helped me in when I was directing, when I used to talk to actors and Fern always used to say that power is in between the lines. Mm. In other words, it's the space and the silence. Right. But I picked that from you and I thought, oh, I didn't know about you. I didn't know how much training you've had or, right. but I knew that you, you had something there, but that was the first indicator for me to sort of go, oh, he's, he's done work, right. you know? right. which is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So hearing that from Shanta, I thought, yeah, you've, you've put in the effort apparently. Mm. You've done a, you've done quite a bit, even with char- writing character profiles and stuff like that. Right. And I thought, you know, if my sis was alive, she'd be pretty because she respected people that put in the work. Right. So, uh, yeah. So, anyway, getting away from that. No, no, no. Well, I've gathered that from how Shanta speaks so highly of Fern too, uh, your sis, um, and just what she's passed on to Shanta and what Shanta's now passed on to me. Yeah. And now I think I was sort of – I think what's pleased Shanta is I was sort of of that mindset even before me and her touched base and ended up getting together just from maybe it's my background and as an athlete. And I believe you put in work in whatever you want yeah. to do. I believe that's sometimes lost in my short experience with actors and acting community. Yeah, I believe it is because it's a hard thing to measure acting. How do we practice it? Yeah. So that was always one of my biggest things with Shanta is like, am I doing enough? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how do I know if I'm doing enough? Yeah. Because it's not really easy to measure and it's subjective. Yeah, so it in is. our own time, unless we're going to class, how do we make sure we're getting in the reps? So that was my biggest thing with just figuring that out. And again, maybe from an athlete point of view is like, okay, that that's measurable. Yeah. True. This is not measurable. True. I've got to find a way to make it measurable. Yeah. Whether true. it's just hours put in, but then I need to make sure I have structure to that. Of so, course. So how much time am I spending on so this? You know? Interesting. The discipline came from an, from being an athlete. Right. In order to how to measure progress. For sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Never heard it from that way. Well, yeah, that's the way I relate it in my brain just because I've been, you know, training in the gym for so long. So that's all measurable, right? Yeah. Um, Then pro wrestling, that's measurable to an extent. The subjective too, because even with that, but you have training partners. The thing that gets you with the acting is sometimes it's just you at home with a monologue or trying to do a scene. Yeah, How do you motivate yourself to do that? And how do you do that? effectively where you're actually getting progress and growth so that's yeah. like the riddle that i'm still trying to figure yeah. out yeah well do you know the most important skill for an actor to have and it's something you can practice is listening right uh director's skill is observation mm-hmm. so i remember we did short courses at film school in sydney and before we would get in to the class every morning we had to write down a hundred things that morning that we had observed Right. And the lecturer could literally pick out any one of those things. You'd have to tell them about it. So you mm. couldn't just bullshit. And, um, but it honed us. It, it pissed us off so many times. Because <laughs> imagine running late for, you know, class and yeah. then you'd get there and you have to present your hundred right. things. But it honed us into a skill that even now when I'm sitting on a bus or sitting something, when I look over at someone, I'm already subconsciously working out a story 
to what's going on, what I think is going on. Mm. But with actors, it, Morgan Freeman said, you know, to be a good actor, you've got to be a good listener. Right. So listening is something you can practice. Like, you know, when you're, uh, are you married or? Yes, I Yeah. When, yes. You're, when your wife is talking, 100% be there to listen. Be present. Yeah. Be present. Mm. And that's a skill, man. It because, is. you know, when you are present, you learn to react mm. in an honest way and mm. truthful way. Mm -hmm. So a lot of actors don't really practice listening mm. like today. Now we're mm. listening mm. in order to react, you know, yep. but when you're living with someone, you tend to pick up like 30% depending on what mood you're right, in. Right, 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 <laughs> well, right. Cause yeah. you sort of subconsciously know where they're going. Of course. But you know, when you sit there and hang on every word, mm -hmm. um, it makes a big difference and that's good practice that mm. you can do um, sure. at home. And eventually you'll start measuring that sort of going, yeah, I was present during that conversation. You yeah, know? no, def definitely. I, I found that with scene work for sure. Um, because I did a lot of monologues at the start, which is probably similar to what I've done in wrestling. Yeah, sure. Uh, with the promos and stuff like that. Cause that was sort of all, nothing was in front of you. Nothing was scripted per se. So you'd come up with your own stuff. I would sometimes write it out and sometimes I'd go to two to three minutes. Yeah. So monologues were something I was pretty comfortable with. Right. But the scene work is interesting because it's really, you've got to learn your lines so well that you can listen. Yeah. And that, that's, okay. that's where the trick yeah, comes into yeah, it, right? True, so true. because if you're trying to remember what's coming next for you, you're done. Yeah. Because you're trying to remember while the other person's talking, you can't react if you're thinking of what's coming yeah, next for me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, when's my lead in? What do I say? <clears throat> like, do you know what I mean? So that was another lesson that, all right, I need to know this stuff so well yeah. that I can do it at any it's time. It's like, uh, I think I said at the end of the class, you prepare exhaustively, then let it go. Right, exactly. You know, when you prepare, prepare. No, but, mm -hmm. but something I wanted to ask you about, and mm -hmm. it was sort of bridging that way anyway, yep. is you said you learned a lot of the acting from wrestling. Mm -hmm. That was my drama school. It was your drama school. Now, sure. Talk about that. Well, I mean, wrestling as an art form and as, as a performance art at its core is storytelling. Yeah. Which is what we're all doing, right? So yeah. it's just in a different format. Yeah, I, if you if you watch a wrestling match and you start breaking it down, there's a certain psychology that goes into it. One, to get the crowd. Two, to distinguish who's the baby face, the good guy, and who's the heel, the bad guy, and things that happen. And there's certain sections of matches that we can break a match down into. Right. And and that's like, you say, the three acts of a movie. Yeah, right, like right, yeah. So that's basically how it works. So in, in wrestling, you've got a shine for the baby face at the start where the good guy's on top, crowd's behind him. Then you get a cut off by the bad guy. Then you get the heat, which is controlled by the bad guy or the heel, right? So then they control the majority of the match most of the time. And then what you get is you get little mini comebacks. Depending on the length of the match, that may be one comeback and then a go home, which is what we call the finish. Right. right? Interesting. By, by the baby face. So there's all these different acts. So the heat's in the middle. And you can relate that to, say, um, an, you know, objective and then what's your obstacle? So obstacle is the heat. Yeah, right? yeah. What's the baby face's objective when he comes in? What's the crisis point? All these things that, wow. that, that, that we break down into movie talk, right? Um, which resonate completely with wrestling if you know wrestling. And if you see wrestling at a high level, that's what they're doing. But it's wrestling, there's something special to it because the good guys can sort of alter the script, rewrite it and edit it as the crowd is reacting. So when you get they the guys who's really that. good, you know, the, the, the vets and the guys that have been doing it and the guys that are just great at the art, and I'm not saying I was one of them, but uh, but 
the guys that are so good that they just have the the, the crowd in the palm of their hand. They've got that intuition right. of how to take, where to take a so crowd. So they will change a match completely sometimes on on what's going on with the crowd. And when the crowd's at their peak, that's when you pretty much want to go home pretty soon because you're not going to hold their attention yeah, for much sure. longer. And I suppose the opponent, like an actor, has to react on the spot to that as yep, well. For sure. So wow. you've, you've got to you've got to be in tune with all that, and and obviously that, and and expressing yourself. I'd say there's probably more likely, like there's more like and same between maybe theatre acting because you're really overacting a lot in wrestling rings because you need people in the back, the back to see what's going in on. In the cheap seats. Yeah, so yeah, you need yeah. to sell everything so they know what's happening. You need to make a lot of noise, which is undersold with that, with wrestling a lot, but that's a main thing, you know, making so much noise in the ring um, to really add to it. So when you come into acting from that, then it's, you know, you got to dial it back a bit pretty much. So you've already gone there, which is the problem for most <laughs> actors, right? They can't go there. Yeah. So reeling you back once you've gone there is probably an advantage. Yeah, you know? true. So, so that's how I look at it. And then obviously the promo stuff, which is like I said, is like a monologue. Mm. Um, so that's the part that I took to very early and I thought I was sort of natural at it. I yeah. sort of floating my own boat too much, but it, it came pretty easy. And maybe that's to do with how I saw my dad growing up in the business of the media and stuff like that. So it was a bit normal to me maybe to have a camera shoved in my face, even though it hadn't happened yet, mm. but it was something I was relatively comfortable with it turned out. So that was a side that I sort of excelled at. And then, so I love that. I love the storytelling side of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So even in between the matches, the lead you're up. still a performer. For sure. You're a performer, but in a different industry yep. in, in, a, in a way, you know, yep. it's still entertainment at yep. the end of the day. But, you know, um, a lot of the theatre actors that came along uh, for, you know, I would pick, you can pick the theatre actors mm -hmm. straight away for in sure. an audition. And what I would do, what a really good exercise for a theatre actor, just to bring them down that 10%, mm. is I'd get them to play the lines off another actor, but this far apart. Right. Because when you're that far apart, you, you, can't, you can't project. Yeah, yeah. And automatically, you know, things would suddenly go, and then the actors would be like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. It was awkward, but at the same time, I get it, you know. Mm -hmm. And so you, there'd be techniques like that that right. you just have to push them in and doing it that far apart. Right. But I just wanted to know, how, how does Mark go from wanting to play basketball? Yes. Originally, well, this is deep background. To bodybuilding? Yep. To wrestling? Yep. To acting and and not in wrestling, you know, you got your wrestlers, but you were you were former WWE wrestler. Yep, the Outback Silverback, right? Yes, yes correct. Takes a bit to get there, man. Yeah, no, I mean, I, well, I, it was it was obviously basketball was my passion growing up. I just I just took to that for whatever reason. Obviously, Dad's heavily involved in footy, so everyone expects you to go that way. Always loved watching footy and didn't really enjoy playing it. The field's too big. It's too much of a team game. You know, it, it, that, you had to run too far to get the ball again. I'd love was, that conversation around the dining table. Yeah, well, man. Oh, no, he knows how I feel, <laughs> you know. But it's great, great. I love watching it. But yeah. I, I never enjoyed playing it to that level. Um, basketball really took me when I was a kid and it was sort of, you know, in the times of Jordan and when it was bigger than big. Mm -hmm. So everyone played, you know, then. Um, so that took me as a kid and I was really loving that. But I always loved wrestling from when I was tiny. You know, I'll still never forget the day that dad told me it was a work, as we say in the business, which means it may not be, you know, entirely not scripted. We don't say the F word, which is the fake word. Oh, some okay, people yeah. say that, but we don't say that yeah. word. Yeah. Um, that's blasphemous. Do you remember when that journalist did say it to that wrestler? Yeah. 
And he fucking slapped this guy. That's what happens. He flew across the room. He goes, is that fake? Is that fake? You've got to protect the business. Right? Yeah. Um, So... I still remember the time we went down to uh, some video store. I think it was Video Link or something like that. I went to a whole bunch of these VHSs, which I always did, the wrestling ones. And we got home, we're sitting in the car in front. My dad said, you know what's not real, right? I was like, what? I was like four years old. So this was really, uh, you know, yeah. a, a brutal conversation. It was like have. Santa Claus not being real. It was jarring <laughs> at the time. But I still remember. I remember the weather. It was nighttime. I remember looking at the train in front of me. It was that sense memory for, for like something for acting, right? So I said, I've got it. I'm there. Right? I know exactly what was happening. <laughs> the spirit was right, taken out of right, me. Right, right. So, um, so I always loved it, even from that age. Then I probably had a lull when I was in love with basketball for a while. And then obviously when The Rock came back, when Stone Cold came back, when I was about 15 years old, and I tuned in one day and I saw The Rock and I was like, who is this guy? And it was just sort of at the start of his run. So he's just becoming a heel, just becoming a bad guy. I was like, this guy's so cool. Uh, and I didn't know why. There was just something about him. When you talked about something about people, there's something about that. Yeah. Day, right? So I was like, oh, I want to watch this again. And that's when it took off again with Stone Cold and The Rock and everything like that. So I was on, on lucky enough to be around in the Attitude Era when I was a teenager. Yeah, man. And it sort of took over my life. And that's why I picked up weights. Because I, want, I wanted to look like those dudes. Right. And, and even when I was a kid, like I wanted, you know, I was always watching Warrior and Hogan and, you know, Macho Man and all the guys. See, th- those those were the guys that were in my era. Right. Yeah. And they, they were the rock came just after, after right. that. Right. It was after that. Yeah. But I remember seeing Hogan, uh, Andre the Giant, yeah. and, you know, all those guys coming yeah. through. And it, my dad as well was a massive fan. Yeah. Because you got to be at a certain level of athleticism. Oh, for sure. And toughness, just to be in that sport. Mm. That's brilliant. You know, um, and then you see movies like The Wrestler mm-hmm. from Mickey Rock. And I remember telling you, because yep. I, I had an interest. I was like, Mark, is it really, is it like that? It's, like the raw side of right, it, you know, right. without the cameras and stuff like that. The guys that are working there, the roots, just to get up in front of a couple of hundred people. Right. It's pretty Bloody raw. It pretty, is. You know. It is, and that's a very accurate depiction of what the world of indie wrestling is. Um, and as I said to you at the time, my trainer, Afa Anawahi, who's also the Rock's uncle, um, Afa the Wild Simone, WWE Hall of Famer, um, he actually trained Mickey Rock for that movie right. and put together all the matches. Um, so so that, it's got yeah. that breed. That oh, it was, it was a hundred percent. Pedigree of yeah, it wrestling. Was, and Mickey played it so well because Mickey looks the way Mickey looks. Yeah. And there's some, you know, sadness to Mickey all the time, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's a beat-up boxer, you know what yeah. I'm saying? So he's got that, and he understands it. Yeah. And just, like, the guy that's still trying to hang on to what was and knows, you know, the best is behind him. Yeah. And there's so many people on the circuit over there. And it makes wrestling wrestling. Yeah. But there's also a sadness to it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As a performer. And and, and there is, a, yeah, there's, like, a, a darkness there. But that's what makes it interesting, right? Because it's it's a world of sort of these blown up characters, and they go out and perform with twenty people at a at a swap meet or something like that. Getting beaten up. Yeah, and just and but there's there's honor in it. Yeah, there and is. there's also so there's this deep pride in what they do. Do you think it's also like a penance? I don't know. Yeah. I was thinking the yeah. other day, you know, yeah. like like Mickey Rourke would, you know, I don't know if you remember Mickey Rourke at the top of his game mm-hmm. in acting. Mm-hmm. Man, he was the Johnny Depp, the Brad Pitt of the time. Right. Like everyone looked at Mickey Rourke and went, dude, the guy's like the next James. He's the James Dean of, of this era. Right. Then like um, Daniel Day-Lewis, mm. he just, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis at the top of his game went and did cobbling 
Right. He started making shoes in Europe. Yeah. Um, Mickey Rourke goes into boxing. Mm. You know, and it's this self-torture, this sort of, <laughs> yeah. you know, I've made it to that level. Right. I just want to see what I'm sort of, probably what I'm made of. And is it a penance to sort of like see how far you can go with that? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it takes, like you said, it takes a special, special person to do that. Yeah. In whatever you go into, when you reach the top and then you just go and test yourself in something completely different. For sure. Especially boxing, when you're getting hit <laughs> yeah, in a ring. It's no fight. It's no fight. It's not an easy way to make a living, that's no, for sure. No, no. And then for him to do the wrestler would be yeah. perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Oh, it was. It was perfect fit and obviously it helped revitalize and give his sort of career a boost again. Yeah. And he sort of became hot again after that. But it was so gritty and there was so much obviously – as I know now, being, you know, trying to get into the acting world, there was so much truth in him in that. So he didn't have to go far to find, you, you know, mm. the bull. Randy the Ram, I think his name was in, in the, in the, in the um, movie. So he was right there. So there was so much of Mickey that was that character anyway, which made it so authentic and so great because he knew that world just from a different thing. Because sure. when he first came and started training with Pops, he was like, oh, this wrestling stuff is soft, you know, it's fake because he was a boxer. And then Pops said after one training session that he couldn't walk, he's like, holy shit. And then Pops had to make a ring that was softer for him because the rings were too hard and oh, would really? beat him up too much. And then at the end, at the, end of, a, of the first week, he was like, Pops, all right, you got my respect. This is this is hard work. You know, but it, Pops said he came in there. I call Alpha Pops. That's just what we do. Yeah, sure. Um, he came in there and, and um, he didn't have respect for business, you know. But it took him a week, but then he respected the business. But he would have found so much like for like there, you know what I mean, as his experiences and, and what he was going through as a character, that that's why it just made it so great. How, what was your doorway opening into that world? Um, like, how did you go from here to moving over and doing yeah. WWE? Well, it's it's inherently linked to that family again, um, the Samoans and, and that family. Uh, so my one of my friends here, who was an acquaintance at the time, I didn't know him well, a guy called Nick, uh, wrestled under the name of Mana over there, the Polynesian warrior. Um, and he still runs shows here now in Perth. He runs NHPW, which is a, a really cool sort of indie promotion. So he moved, he was actually from New Zealand. He spent some time here, very good rugby player. Then he moved over to the States to wrestle and trained under Arthur. Um, and so he was over there for many years wrestling, then came back to start a school here. And one of our mutual friends sort of introduced us because he knew I was a big wrestling guy and this guy was studying a promotion and Nick wanted to have a chat with me anyway. Um, and I hadn't wrestled or anything at this stage. I was just obviously, my friend knew I was a fan. and said, oh, do you want to come meet him? I said, yeah, cool. We'll go, went to Nando's or something. And so he ended up doing his show for NHPW, one of his first shows, and he brought some of the Samoans from um, the States that he had made oh, friends okay. with, some of Pops' nephews. So he brought uh, Rikishi, I don't know if you remember him, um, and um, Gangrel and uh, Reno Anawahi was the guy that's on the indie circuit over there. So a whole bunch of guys that used to be in the WWE and stuff. And they came down, they did a tour and and did some shows. And I was sort of looking after them while they were here because he said, sure. do you want to come down and meet them? And I was just hanging out, we're driving around, whatever. I'll take them to you know get something to eat after the show. And it was them. They sort of looked at me because I'd already started bodybuilding and stuff then. And they said, dude, is this something you'd be interested in? Kishi sort of said it to me, which is amazing because he's a WWE Hall of Famer now. His sons are also tag team champions now and stuff like that. And he said, um, you know, is this something you'd be interested in? I'm like, 
I don't know, man, I'm from Perth. I've never really thought of like pro wrestling as a, as a career pathway. Um, and he said like, dude, he goes, you're at the age. I was, like I said, I was 25 at the time. He said, you know, you got the look, you know, Vince, Vince, Vince McMahon signs. You got guys like you all the time. You know, and I went, I'm like, okay, that's a bit weird to hear. And he goes, he goes, you need to go train with my uncle. And then, and then, uh, you know, I, I'm no sure way. something will happen. And then, so we were on, we, we ended up going to LA with my parents for a holiday. And then on that holiday, I'm not sure if it was the same year or maybe a couple of years later, I then went and flew over to meet Pops in Orlando. He was in Florida at the time. He'd moved from Pennsylvania down to Florida for the warmer weather in his uh, sort of twilight years. <laughs> um, and so he opened the school there. So I, I met him down there and um, yeah, he just said, son, yeah, you've you got to look, come train with me. And I'm like, okay, I'll figure out how to make this work. So then I moved home for about a year and went over the following year, sort of at the end of 2000. It's so much like acting. Mm, exactly. <clears throat> but it was just sort of, I didn't believe it till they said it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm hearing, you know, like, like I've got friends that have made it quite big in Hollywood, right? Mm -hmm. And you, there, there is a, you know, there's talent, but they've also got the look to go with it. Mm -hmm. Like even when they were here, you could sort of go, well, they're gorgeous, mm -hmm. but there's a certain talent there as well. Yep. You know, they've got something right. and lucky enough to have that look, which doesn't hurt. Of course, of course. And it must be like that in wrestling. Like you'll see, you know, you've got the attitude, you've got the build, mm -hmm. but you've got a look mm -hmm. that we could sell. Right. You know, did they straight away know who if you were going to be the heel or the... Well, I mean, generally bigger guys, it's easier to be the heel, mm -hmm. um, especially as a foreigner. I mean, Aussies aren't really hated, so it's not like I was I was Russian or something like that. Yeah. Like you know, yeah, oh, put on the accent. In, in the young rock, I actually was. Well, that's a different story. Oh, okay. Um, shout out to Nikolai Volkov. Um, so yeah, it wasn't like it was that, but you can obviously play the heel as the bigger guy. It's much easier because you can beat up a guy smaller than you. No one likes a guy that no one likes yeah, a bully. You know yeah. what I mean? So normally, if you come in as a big guy, it's easier to build the big guys as a, and book the big guys as, right. as the bad guys in the heels, because it's just easier to get over with the crowd like that. If you don't look vulnerable, they're not gonna, yeah, you know. And you, and you can you can there's still some some baby faces that look fantastic, but it usually takes them a bit longer to get to that stage. Like they're so good as a heel that the crowd starts loving them, and that's how they turn to a baby face. Oh, okay. So then the crowd starts rooting from. So say The Rock's the perfect example, or even Stone Cold. They both did the same thing. They were both heels at the start and were so good at that that everyone was cheering for them by the end of it. And, and then the eyebrows come yeah, along. Didn't matter what they said, didn't matter if they're flipping the crowd off, didn't matter whatever, the, the crowd ate it up because they just wanted to be part of that. Whatever was going on was so cool. Yeah, I yeah. want to be part of that. Yeah. So then you become the baby face from the crowd, you know? So that's- so is, there a, is there a pay difference between being the guy that's getting beaten up or the heel? Um, I mean, <laughs> probably not so much these days. I'm sure there definitely would have been. But still, the biggest guys are, uh, and the guys that are going to be best paid are always going to be the top baby face. So John Cena- Mm. Roman Reigns now he sort of turned heel, but he was he's, he's been the top guy there for, for the. Because I suppose era. they attract bums on seats. It all gets back 100%. to bums on seats, right? Yeah. They so, they got the women yeah, demographic, right? And the guys that like the right. You know. So John Cena was one of the only ones that they haven't toggled between heel and babyface. Oh, okay. So he started sort of as a face, and then went kind of a heel for a while for his sort of mid card run. He had look at like a white rapper gimmick where he'd come out and sort of rap and freestyle, and you know people used to get on him at that stage. But again, he was there was something about him that was cool, so yeah. people started liking him. Yeah. And then once he turned face, 
still to this day they have not turned him heel, which is weird for them because they always do that. So there was always, you know, the turns. The turns were like when I was a kid, when I was in, as a teenager, and the attitude era were epic. So you'd have Stone Cold being the good guy and being the top, top face. And then all of a sudden at a pay-per-view or something, he'd change your heel, do something, and then and then screw it, screw it all up and the crowd would be on it. <laughs> and that's how you got the most heat in the world. Because if they love you and then you do something bad, yeah. then you know, it's like it's like a partner cheating on you. Yeah, yeah. You know, it goes from <laughs> love to hate very quick. So that's how you get the most heat, right? So that's what he did. But they never did that with Cena. And I think a big part of it, and credit to him, um, he didn't want to do it because he was the top requested guy for Make-A-Wish. Oh, okay. And so he, he said, he said, I don't want to yeah, go true, in there and look true. at the kids and I'm and I'm doing bad stuff on TV. Yeah, true. So they protected the brand of John Cena and mm. he he obviously said, look, I'm not, like, even though it was probably good for the business and it would have made him able to do way more stuff than the generic stuff that some people sort of got sick of in the end because, oh, he's just such a baby face. You know, it's, it's predictable, right, what he's going to do, the all-American baby face. Mm. But credit to him when you look into the background of why he was doing that. It's very honourable and, and nice, you know. And just um, and now you look at him with the Fast and the Furious. Yeah. You, all you think about is that apology in Chinese right, to the Chinese right, government. Right. No, have you seen <laughs> the communist, uh, Have you seen Peacemaker the series? I have. I have. That's awesome. How good was that? <clears throat> yeah. I was. I was just. Like, I binge watched that. Yeah. <laughs> I, so did I. I was just like, he's amazing. This, this is him. But just just you know to I mean? to have that character, right? Where he's he's a dick. Yeah. But he's, you feel for him through it because yeah. you suddenly realise, you know, who is, what he grew up in with his father, right. then his best mate, mm. and then, you know, people just not taking him seriously and yeah. he wears that when he's eating. Right. I just thought it was a, it was a great written yeah. role. It was awesome. And, uh, <laughs> and that, they didn't hold any punches in no, that, No, man. no, <laughs> But he executed it so well and I feel like that's that's his true potential for, for a guy that's achieved so much. It sounds crazy to say that's his true potential. Yeah. But that's almost him as a heel. Do you know what I mean? He yeah, finally gets to swear. True. He finally gets to do all this stuff. True. That he's never allowed himself to do in the rest and of the thing. And play the protagonist. Right. Exactly. You know, which, so, is, which yeah. is always, I think, an actor's, like, you know, you got, um, when you got Breaking Bad. Right. You got Walter White. You right. know. He's the protagonist, right. like Dexter, who's doing really bad things. He's an anti-hero, yeah. But you empathize with that. And I always think, you know, those are the characters, the damaged characters right. that you feel for. Right. Even though you know they're doing really bad. Of course. But you don't want them to get caught. Yep. You know, and I, I think that's a goal for any actor to get that role. Right. Exactly. And that, and that's what I mean by we've seen her finally sort of getting his flowers and getting to do something like that. Hopefully it opens more. Yeah. Well, with wrestling, sort he of. didn't allow himself and the company were protecting him. Yeah, so he never sure. got to grow into that and do everything he could be, which is crazy because he's still one of the best ever to do it. Mm. But then you see him in a role like that and be like, that, that's fire. Do you know what I mean? And he was so, he was just perfect for it. <laughs> it was, do you know what I mean? And he was he, funny. Yeah, because he was being the all-American baby face and being a heel at the same time. It was perfect. <laughs> it was just perfect. Light and shade. It was just great. He did such a good job. And I, as as you said, I binge watched it too, and I was like, oh man, this is awesome. Yeah, I was pissing myself laughing. Well, it, was, it was great. It was like it was like Deadpoolish in the it humor, was, wasn't it? It was. It was. That, that's what it was like. But he, he did it so well. I was just like, man, that was, that's he knocked that out of the park. <laughs> John Cena, is he the guy you look up to or would it be The Rock? Because uh, you're in the same, that category now, Mark. Yeah. You're past WWE. Yep. You got the look. Yep. You're training hard. Yep. There is something that comes along that's a bit advantageous when you do have a unique look. For sure. You know, you got a good look, got a good build. Yep. You can play certain characters that yep. could eventually branch off into other things, how you show your range in that. You right. Know? 
Is that what you want to do? Yeah, I'm ultra, I'm ultra aware of that as far as um, I don't think I'd change the way I look to try to fit acting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think I'd downsize because I think it's an advantage because I'm, I am typecast at the moment, which is great. Which is great. <laughs> Do you know what Especially I mean? Especially for a new actor. Yeah. And I think people get lost in that and think, well, now i got to look a certain way. No. I am what I am. I'll get cast in certain roles because there's not many of me. Mm. And then if I show them I can actually work then you can go to other places. But I'm, I'm super happy to do typecast stuff in the, in the beginning. Like, give me all of that. Give me the bad guy. Give me the bouncer. Give me the security guard. Give me whatever. Um, and then let me show what I can do. And then let me build. Yeah, you know I, mean? I think so. So, so definitely the, the way those guys have conducted themselves. I mean, um, John Cena, I was never such a huge fan, honestly, in the, in the ring and stuff. But again, probably because he was a baby face the whole time. But he was an unbelievable performer in the ring. But I was never like a John Cena guy. But I was probably too old by that stage anyway. <laughs> so growing up. The Rock was was God, right? Um, and to have the opportunities that I've had to do with his family, and then now yeah. being on Young Rock, which we'll talk about soon, I'm sure, um, it's sort of like full circle and just so weird the connection for someone I looked up to so much to to have the sort of just the fortune to have so much sort of interlinked. Well, you're and, coming from the same stable, yeah, basically. Yeah, ex exactly. And just um, knowing some of his family from when I was there and stuff like that, like his mother getting to meet his dad and stuff, and then full circle with the whole Young Rock thing and then getting to meet the actors, as I spoke to you briefly about in acting class, that were portraying these characters who I'd met in real life. It was really cool. <laughs> Do you know surreal. what I mean? Yeah, it was, it was so surreal. But it almost felt like oh, this. Oh, I'm doing be. what I'm meant to right, be doing. Right, right, exactly. And um, wrestling probably didn't quite work out the way I wanted it to. I didn't sort of go as far as I wanted to. I felt like that was cut short. I was going to ask you, was yeah. there any regrets within the wrestling world? For sure, but I feel like the acting has given me a sense of, okay, this is why that happened. Yeah. Because this is what I really want to do. Because this makes me feel better than wrestling ever did. It's true. Um because the wrestling I loved, I loved the look, I loved the bodybuilding lifestyle, I loved all that. But the business also changed on me was there. They started you know, like hiring a lot of smaller guys, indie guys, right. um, and all that type of stuff. So it kind of started to shift on me uh, right under my feet. While and I was when there. was this, Mark? Um, sort of in the 2010-ish to 2016 was, was sort of my run over there. Um, so that's when the, the industry started to get uber indie so to speak. So guys were getting famous on the internet and they just looked like a kid that was walking down the street, but they were getting popular because it was sort of the anti-establishment movement. Oh, okay. So fans were getting tired of the, the guys that looked like John Cena and stuff like that. Like, oh, we, we don't want that because they felt the WWE was pushing that to them. Right. So they wanted the freedom to choose these guys. So they wanted a dude that looked like a skater from the park or something. <laughs> but he was a good worker, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Because there's plenty of guys that are great workers in the ring but they just don't have the look of a WWE guy, sure, so to speak. Sure. Um, so there was that. And so, yeah, so that sort of got cut short, but it really pushed me into the place where I am. So, yeah, as I said, The Rock, there's so much to look up to that he does. And just the way he conducts himself, things that he's involved in. And he's actually really funny. Yeah, 100%. Like he's got comedic timing. Oh, and, yeah. and a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people do give him credit, but a lot of people don't give him credit for no. that. His comedic timing is spot on. Uh, if you watch, he's fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, you, if you watch his old promos when he was coming up, I mean, yeah. that's what made him him. 
There wasn't no spectacular move that he did in the ring. He was a good athlete too, don't get me mm. wrong, and he had a great look. But there was nothing that he did in the ring that was separate to other guys who were great in the ring too. What separated him was his promos. Yeah. He just had people in the palm of his hand and, and just his delivery and his execution, even if he had writers, whatever, being able to execute that in that way with the timing, like you said, you just knew then, like you were seeing something different. And that's why you were drawn to him. Of like course. you said, like there were other people. I watched him cut, yeah, I watched him cut one promo. I didn't watch him wrestle. I watched oh, him really? walk down when he started to be a heel with the Nation of Domination. Um, this sort of pro black group that they that they created, <laughs> um, and he was he was just joining them and becoming a heel, and he cut a promo. I was just like, "This dude is so cool!" Okay, there's just as you said, there was just something about yeah. it. You know, and what you mean? can pick it. Oh, 100. You and, can pick it, and you knew at that stage you were seeing something unique. Yeah, and you knew he was going to be big, as big as he made wrestling, and as big as he got, you knew he was going to be even bigger. And well, now, you think he's become the Yanni. 100%. Of our generation, yeah. of this generation, Definitely. I should say. Definitely. Like, there was no one that could do wrong in my generation from Arnie to Stallone, yeah. Bruce Willis, you know. Um, but Arnold Schwarzenegger, anything he touched made right. money. Right. And his inspirational story of being told he couldn't do this acting because right. of his accent, where right. he came from, how big he was. Mm. He made that the brand. Right. I think he was one of the first guys to do it, like Conan, right. the Barbarian, the Terminator. And, and he opened that door. But I, I look at The Rock now and I think, as in terms of salary as well, yeah. <laughs> salary, look, yep. he's made it huge. Right. He's probably the Arnold Schwarzenegger of this generation. Definitely. When you look at like social media follows, no one comes close to him. Oh, man. Yeah. He's universal. That's the thing that separates him from sports stars and stuff like that even. He's universal. Yeah. So all walks of life can- Any uh, country. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's the thing that really sort of uh, you look at and go, yeah. And, and the thing with Arnie, even getting back to that, he cops so much for his acting and the stuff, whatever. The one thing Arnie did very well when you watch Arnie is he was vulnerable. Yeah. Unexpectedly vulnerable. Yeah. And he played that so well. And he, he did. He played that so well. He was, he was completely against his type. Yeah, true. But he could do it. And look, and you'd want to give him a hug. Which is why he went into comedy. Yeah, but that's what I mean. But he was, he was, and he doesn't get any credit for that, like you said. And I understand why. But it, it's, it's interesting when you watch as an actor now, looking back and appreciating things that he didn't be like, that's yeah. not easy to do. It's not, do, man. Do you know what I mean? It's not. That's not easy to do. Comedy is actually not easy at all. Right. Because what comedy. What comedy is, is good comedy mm -hmm. is playing the comedy seriously. Right. It's the story that make, and the circumstance that make it funny. Yes. It's like, you know, Dumb and Dumber is hilarious, but if you look at it, it properly, there's two guys that are out of whack with society. Mm -hmm. They're misfits. Mm -hmm. They don't belong anywhere. Mm -hmm. And yet they just want to belong and be loved, but the circumstance they're in Right. Just makes it hilarious. Comedy is not easy, man. And it's like, I suppose, it's. do you think it's easier for someone like Jim Carrey to go from comedy to drama, mm. like heavy drama, mm -hmm. or somebody that is quite serious and big like Arnie and The Rock and then move into comedy from that? I wonder. Well, I, I feel like it'd be much harder for someone who's established in dramatic. So even if you take that further than, say, Arnie and The Rock. So if you talk about someone like uh, Daniel Day-Lewis is a great one because mm. he's so so damn good, right? Mm. If he went to go come, I mean, he's so good that he could probably do it. But you get other <laughs> people, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe he's not the right example. But if you get, you know what I mean? The yeah. people that really make their mark on a dramatic scene. I think it's far harder as an actor than to shift into the comedy space 
and still hold on to those objectives and what's at stake, like you said, because those things are very real and those things yeah. make timing and those things make the comedy. Yeah, true. Because you're laughing at their misery, really. Yeah, you are. Yeah. So they've got to believe yeah. their misery. It's like uh, I remember listening to Bradley Cooper talking about Hangover. Right. And he had a massive problem. He was like, I'm just not funny in this at all. Mm. And the, you know, the director said, look, you know, your job's not meant to be funny. It's right. it's to speak the lines. Yep. Allow the lines and the story to make it funny. To do the work, yeah. You're not trying to be funny. You're trying to be serious and get out of this predicament. Mm -hmm. And that changed everything. But he was really worried that he wasn't matching up to the other guys. Because right. they were all quite natural comedians. Yep. Bradley Cooper's come from quite serious roles. He played, except Wedding Crashes. Mm -hmm. um, he was playing the baddie, the heel and that, you know. Yep. But, yeah, he just, he, he never forgets that director turning around and saying, your job's not to be funny. Your job is to play the lines. Mm. And play it seriously. Right. Allow the story in me to craft that into something that's funny. Right. And I think that's the Maybe. part. Yeah, I think that's the part that's lost um, when you think about comedy. Because even me, when I think about comedy, I think wrestling, to get back to what you said before about The Rock, I think comedy was always there for him because of the promos he cut and all that type of thing. Yeah. There, was a lot, there was a lot of shtick there, right? Yeah. The other thing wrestling teaches you is if you're going to be good at wrestling, you better not take yourself too seriously. Because you better be prepared to look like an absolute douche on 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 screen and in front of thousands and thousands of people. Otherwise, you're never going to get over as a wrestler. So any ego you have. That's you, another good skill, man. Yeah. Well, if you're going to hang on to ego, you only make it so far in the wrestling business. Wow. Do you know what I mean? That's, dude, that's exactly the same but, in the acting world. Exactly. But that's what I'm saying. So from, a, from a, a classically trained actor, sometimes as actors, we can take ourselves extremely seriously and the craft extremely seriously that we're not prepared to look that way. Yeah. And because we don't think that that comedy makes a stretch or comedy challenges us as an artist, when in fact it does. It does. Because they think, well, there's no objective in this. There's nothing at stake in this. We, yeah, when I, it was interesting because you, you don't think about it, but I was reading Larry Moss's book and he's, he's got a chapter on, on comedic acting. And um, he was just talking about how all these things are so real for them. <clears throat> so it's not trying to be funny and stuff like that. It's exactly what you said. Let the lines do the work, right? Let the lines do the work. And and the stakes have to be real and the objectives have to be real. And I think sometimes with actors, we we say, oh, that's not real or that's, that's not going to stretch us because we're scared of actually having to find out how to work seriously in those parameters because that is super challenging and maybe that's why we're shying away from it. Mm -hmm. Because to try to find something serious in something that you know is supposed to be funny is almost, yeah, you know, it's mind-boggling because like, how do you do this? But you know, taking away the ego yeah. is one of the biggest things For sure. that gets in the way of the progression of an actor. And it's funny, again, you're you're mirroring almost like what we were worried about. Like in this industry, it takes one film, your ego comes along. Like, like I won't say names, but I know friends, a friend of mine, such a nice guy. And he's not from Perth, but mm. he's um he made it quite big. And I'll tell you after, but mm -hmm. you know, it was the ego that I personally think that got in the way. And you sort of knew it was the ego because of all the things that happened outside the film, right? you know, in his personal life. Right, yeah. And then all of a sudden, nothing. Mm -hmm. And it's just this big drop back to earth, you mm -hmm. know, and he had to move back to, to Australia. And, and I just think it was just ego can really stumble uh, an artist in, in his craft of, you know, being able to be humble, understanding what you've got to learn, 
the things you've got to learn. And always like Pacino still goes to acting classes. Right. He still attends the Strasbourg, you know, in acting. Right. De Niro will still do a pop in at Adler. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what actors are. They're constantly learning. As you get older, you're learning more about yourself. Mm-hmm. And hopefully with every character, you're learning a bit more about yourself. Right. The problem with actors can be that they find it more comfortable escaping into characters than playing themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a real problem. Right. Because it's a problem because the better you know yourself, the more you can inject into a character. Right. And therefore that character can inject back into you. Yep. But if you're using these characters as an escape, mm. you're eventually going to hit a wall one day. Right. Where you are you don't know who you are anymore. Yeah. That's really um prolific that you say that because I, I, I believe in that too and I just think you can try to get into character almost too much and lose yourself in a character rather than bringing which is a lot harder to do but bringing your truth to that character because sometimes that puts you again and that's ego based or circles back to that yeah as to putting a piece of you out there yeah is much there's much more at stake yeah of course and it's much scarier yeah it is but the payoff is much better do you know what I mean? So mm. I guess it's just toggling between that and realizing there's a reason why I'm drawn to this character because there's some of them in me, whether they're That's a right. monster or what, that that's something I can find. And just I think finding those 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 things in common are very hard for people. So it's easier to be a character and go into that and go into that world mm. and, and detach. Mm. And then as you said, when you come back though, then you do not know who you are. No. No. So, and you see this all the time with a lot of namesake people and stuff like that. They, that you hear all these crazy stories about method acting. So they call it, or you know what I mean? Even though, I mean, you know, there's no real method acting, it's just yeah. a method of acting. Yeah, that's right. Um, but these immersements in, in character and, and not breaking character for 16 days. I see, I, I don't believe that's healthy. No, I don't either. You know, I remember growing up and right. reading about Strasbourg and Stanislavski, and I'm sure it works. It works for a lot of people. Yeah. It shows it works. Yeah. But, you know, as I was directing at that time, mm. I wanted my experience to be an enjoyable one. Yeah. And I remember um, talking to my sister and I said, you know, imagine being in this character all the time. Yes. When you look back on this moment as a fond moment in your career, would you just feel the pain of mm. being this character? Mm-hmm. Or the enjoyment of escaping into this character. But what do you want your life to be like? And to me, I always used to, when I directed, I would direct actors that were heavily in the character, wouldn't break character. And then I'd direct characters that would be laughing with the crew. Mm -hmm. And then as everything gets into it, they snap and go straight in. Yep. And I thought, if I was an actor, I'd rather be that guy. Because right. one is he's enjoying this experience mm-hmm. of making a movie. Mm-hmm. The other guy doesn't want people talking to him. He goes off and smokes his own brand, the character's brand of cigarettes. And yep. I'm thinking, that is heavy. Right. It works. Both work. But as the overall experience, what would you want right. your career to be? Right. To me, it's like, I just want to be to be able to snap in and snap out. Right. And- also, you know, Mark, I hate to say it, but not take it too fucking seriously. Um, the other thing I've spoken to Shanta about too, which is interesting that wrestling's given me as well, is even though we're in character in the ring, we're constantly in communication with each other, but mental and, and verbally too. So we're constantly, and then the other thing is we're always looking after each other. 
So you're constantly breaking. The crowd doesn't know you're breaking, but we're breaking to speak to each other about what's coming next. We're oh, break. is that right? Yes. Kayfabe is dead, which is what we call like the fourth war, kayfabe in wrestling. So that that's long gone. In the old days, you I wouldn't be allowed to speak like this because I'd have heat with the boys for it. But now you can because it's all over the internet. Right. So when you're calling spots to each other and stuff like that, so you're constantly breaking character. And you're also, if someone gets hurt, you're looking after them. So I'm the bad guy, but I'm looking after you because you've just knocked yourself out in the ring, which has happened before numerous times. Wow. So you've, you're, you're, they're, their life's in your hands pretty much. So you've got to get them through the rest Jeez. of the match safely. But that's being in character, but not being in character. Wow. And Shanta loved that when I said it to her because I said to her, like we were doing a scene that it was pretty heavy and I was throwing some stuff around. And I'm like, look, I just want to let you know, like if you're, I need to know that you're cool with me going ape shit um, and, and you feel safe. First and foremost, she goes, I always feel safe with you because we did build that rapport. And I was like, cool. I was like, because no matter where I am, I'm always here. Do you know what I mean? And I just wanted to reassure her of that just because of my physicality and stuff like that. That's, that's like, also a skill. Yeah. I feel one like, has to learn in acting. Right. And I feel like I have to let people know that sometimes. And I know Shanta's been around a lot of actors and she's probably been around a lot of actors that have potentially gone too far too, but I just wanted to let her know that I'm always here. You just have to speak to me. I'm never going to be so far in character that you can't get to me. And I think that's that's healthy. Well, you need to because right. you also need to take direction. Yeah. You know, right. like I've also directed actors that it when it went too far and the guy punched a hole in the wall yes. and then ran off set. Well, it delayed production because he didn't get back for another hour. Yeah. He was in a dark place. He was in a dark place. We all knew it. Mm -hmm. But there's that 10% or five, you always hold back yep. because if the director wants to change something for the next take. Be able to, that logic is there for uh, you to, to go with that. So that's another reason why I used to look and work with actors in specific ways and think if I was an actor and as directors, we had, I did acting classes. Yeah. So I, oh, I went along and I saw many different acting classes and there was one guy called David Vallon. I don't even know if he's still alive. What he did is, cause I asked him about method acting mm -hmm. and he went, so if I'm playing a killer, and he grabbed me by the throat and threw me up against the wall. Right. Like I thought I was going to get knocked out because right. my head hit the wall. Yeah. And he's squeezing my neck and he's like, do you trust me? Do you trust me right now? And yeah. I was like, oh, I can't breathe. Yeah. Right. And he goes, why would I want to do that to a fellow actor? Yeah. And why would I want this actor to be in that world of realism mm. when you can get to that same place? Yes. I was going to ask you about the young rock. Yes. From what I know, you haven't been in the acting game for that long. No. How long? Uh, well, making a proper crack at it, probably. I've had representation since probably about just over six months, six to eight months now. That's it. So that's with Hallie. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. yeah. So since last June. So Hallie, um, she actually found a role for me before she was representing me officially. Right. which was my first feature film, which is Sweet As, which is coming out in October, directed by Jub Clerk. Um, really cool story about um, a young Indigenous girl growing up in the Pilbara region. Right. Um, so really cool. Um, I play a bit of a heel in that, spoiler alert, but I will just keep that <laughs> um, But um, anyway, so she, she got me that. And the whole reason why I got in contact with Shanta first is because I knew she was working with Hallie. And my first acting coach was a, was a gentleman by the name of James Hagen. I don't know. Oh, hey, James. James. Yes, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, passed away mm. now. So, so, so uh, rest in peace to James. Um, but... He was the first guy I actually met James on a voiceover course 
Um, and he's just got a terrific voice, as you yeah, know. Yeah, right? um, And then he, he, he'd never met me before, but it was just in the city. He was running it for Perth Film School, I think. Um, and there's only two of us in class. Um, and I rocked up, and then he heard me speak. He's like, oh, you're the voice of a god. And then and I was- <laughs> That's I was, so James. Uh, <laughs> and he goes, you just need to learn how to use it, but you're the voice of a god. And I was already working on radio and stuff like that, but I just wanted to expand that side of things. And he obviously- knew what I'd done, we got talking, knew what I'd done with the wrestling and stuff. He says, I want you to contact this this girl at Film Bites, Hallie. Uh, she's she's the best agent in in Perth. She's good. Um, and she said, in, she normally works with, with mm. children mostly, but she may see something new and that's unique, so just send her your stuff. And so I got in contact with Hallie just cold. And Hallie said, yeah, I'll just do some more work and you know get back with me. Um, and I knew Shanta had worked with her, was doing working closely with her. So I was trying to get in with Shanta at the time. And this was back during COVID. And unbeknownst to me, obviously Shanta was going some through a lot um, to do with your family. Mm, yeah. Um, and obviously, so me and Shanta sort of missed contact, sure. got in contact, and it was weird. It was it happened over like 12 months. And then eventually I kept trying, kept trying, and I eventually got her. And she said, yeah, 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 cool. Sorry, so sorry that I'm in contact with you. I've had a lot going sure, on. Sure, Um come in and that's how we started and and i really wanted to work with her as well just so as she said when we were starting that she could send hallie stuff so i could get prove my my worth to hallie and um and then that's how it happened well so, what i heard was the same thing i heard yeah. that hallie saw the work yeah. you were putting in yeah and you were serious enough for her to then take you seriously enough. Yeah. Because why would you take someone seriously if they don't take the craft seriously? Of course. Of so course. I think she saw that. And yeah. I think that was one, from what Shanta told me, you yeah. know, which yeah. is big respects for that. Yeah. You know? So then you got Young Rock. Yep. So that that was obviously the the um, loosely biographical story about the um, the Rock, auto autobiographical story rather, about the Rock and his growing up in the business. And obviously, because his old man was a wrestler, Rocky Johnson. Yeah. His grandfather was a wrestler, so his mum grew up on his mum's side, that is. So his mum grew up around wrestling too. Arta, she's a great woman. Um, and it's about their, all their wacky history of wrestling. And so, so oh. starting in the 80s and working all the way through the 90s when he was sort of at college because he played for the University of Miami in football. And obviously, he wanted to play football for professionally first. Um, so the struggles he had with that and sort of the ultimate failure of that. Um, and then you know, progressing into becoming in the family business and becoming a wrestler and, and then following him through to that. So we're in season two at the moment. So I was lucky enough to be involved in that. <laughs> Isn't um, that a full circle? Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'd actually been auditioned for about five different parts since the since the show started. So I auditioned for a whole heap of parts in season one too. Um, nothing came through, but every time I got an audition, I was like, I don't look like this guy because they were all previous wrestlers from the 80s and 70s and stuff like that um so um shout out to mitchell casting for keep sending me the the auditions anyway so that was great it gave me yeah. practice and and um i put together some good auditions i thought that's it man it's right. the practice right and i was getting in front of him which was great mm. but i just knew oh, i didn't look like those guys so i wasn't taking it personally because mm. i was like there's no way they can make me look like like this guy you know what I mean? Samoan. Yeah. No, so it was just, it was just, there was, there were roles there that it was just, I wasn't going to fit. So it was good because I wasn't taking it personally, but I was getting in front of them all the yeah. time. And they kept coming back, bless the girls, and they kept giving me stuff. Um, so eventually one stuck, which was Nikolai Volkov, um, the old Russian heel. Uh, he's actually Croatian though in real life, but he played the Russian. Uh, he he, he uh, actually got out of Yugoslavia as a weightlifter. He fled 
uh, went to Canada to escape the USSR. Oh, really? But then he represented the USSR, of course, in wrestling because that's just <laughs> how he rolled, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so so lucky to get to play him. Hopefully, I did it. You know, honor. He's he's passed away too, Nikolai. Okay. Um, so. Hopefully he's, he's somewhere up there smiling down and thought it was a good job and he was yeah. happy with the way it all came and out. Someone's so, representing, like, right? So life, yeah. yeah, but it was an honour just to be sort of in that and just uh, yeah, and it's been a crazy sort of little ride. Oh, so man. it's been a cool first the, the first feature film and a speaking role and obviously so it's sort of I've got to stay present and aware and grateful because I know there's a lot of actors out there who work for years and years and years who don't get those opportunities. Yeah, yeah. and and I know I can get caught up in thinking, well, I need more now. But I've also got to be grateful for what's come through already and, 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 and know. And look, Mark, there's one piece of advice. Just keep having fun. Yeah. Always remember why you got in it. Yeah. You know, and I think if you can still have fun, you can still learn. Mm -hmm. You can still grow. Mm -hmm. uh, you can get auditions. Yeah. It's when you let go, you know, prep, prep, and then let go. And you still have fun, then this will be a great thing. But right. I've seen actors who are super talented that have taken it super seriously, mm. stopped having fun, stopped growing. And then re I had a chat with the guy the other day and, um, and he just looked at me and he was like, you're right. I've stopped having fun at this because mm. I haven't been in this industry for a while now, for a couple of years. Right. Um, but I could see. Uh, with friends of mine that are working behind the camera and in front of the camera mm -hmm. and just the changes. But I said to him, mate, you just got to start having fun again, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then this industry would be great for you, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that's the main thing you do. Yeah. If you get too bogged down in like what's happening next, which yeah. I find like a, a weird thing with this business, obviously, which is going to be constant, I'm sure. Yeah. No matter what, how successful you get. Um, if you're fortunate enough, fortunate enough to be that way and just, yeah. And, and that's where I found the joy in it is just the craft, man. Mm -hmm. I, know, I know Fern used to speak to that all the time and, and Shanta played it, uh, footage of Fern talking oh, about she? the craft, yeah. um, which was awesome. And I'm definitely on that wavelength of that's what I believe because I just, it's so much deeper for me in that I just believe in storytelling, like to its core. Like I just believe it's so powerful. And for us to be able to be a part of that is a privilege, not something that we're deserving of or not something that's our right, but we're privileged to be a part of this world. And if we get to be a part of content that can change people's minds about things and open up people's minds, that's what this is about. So to me, that's what it's about. It's about something deeper because it's not about me getting famous or me. I love doing it because I know the power it has and the power it's had over me, storytelling. And just how you can lose yourself, even if it's giving someone an escape for a few hours from their life, or giving a little kid strength or something like that. And like, not trying to, you know, make myself sound like I'm that person that gives that. But um, I think we're all in this business. We've got great opportunities to tell stories and stories that matter more importantly, you know, that either give escape for an hour or can change someone's mindset or open someone's mind up who may be not thinking that way. I think, hang on, I've never thought of life that way. Maybe I don't hate those people so much or maybe, you know what I mean? Just opening minds. Yeah, man. I'm Well, I'm not going to top that. <laughs> no, I'm sure you could, Wayne. I'm sure you could. I'm not going to top that. No, but look, it, if it comes from the right place, right. you know, the, the doing itself becomes effortless mm. really to me. So I think uh, you're in the right spot. You're in a place of self-discovery, mm. a new journey for you. It's working out. Yep. Um, if people want to get to know you a bit better, 
Like, can they go anywhere? Oh, I mean, I do have Instagram, though I don't use it very much, as you okay. would, as you would probably know. Um, so that's about it for now. But it is at Outback Silverback. I'm going to tell people that yeah. that was your. That was did my you come moniker. Up, did you come back? I did. Yes, I did. That was a great yeah, name. It was Mark Silver Outback Silverback. So we spelt Silverback with a with an A. I said to a few friends, I said I've got a, a former WWE, and his name's the Outback Sil Silverback. Yeah. And the first thing they say is that's a that's yeah. a great name. I came up with it myself. Yeah, yeah, I don't like to, you know. Yeah, I'll take it. Well, doesn't that show you though right. that you do things in your past? Mm -hmm. And it all leads you to where you're meant to be. Yeah. And at the times it could have been a struggle, you know, like surely you would have had some pain going through that journey yourself. And I was uh, wanting to talk more about that, which I didn't, but I'll leave that for now. Yep. But there was a, must've been a pain there in that journey. Of course, definitely. Also, I always think growing up with, with your dad mm -hmm. that is in the public eye quite mm -hmm. a bit. Mm -hmm. When I think of those times, I think I hear his voice. Mm -hmm. And then you growing up with a bit of pain, you're going into wrestling, it's a whole right. new world. Right. And then funny that the strongest lessons and the hardest lessons that actors need to take hold of mm. is what you've been groomed with in wrestling already. Of course. And that's why I say it was my drama school, because not Isn't even on the cool? performance base, but it was also, yeah, just, just things you learn. Um, and the other thing I learned is just a quick reference to my dad is just, doesn't matter what I do. People will always think dad helped me get there. That's just the way it works. So is, with, is that what, with wrestling, people even with wrestling, that, yeah, wrestling, come on. They did, and I'm how, sure, how does sure, your dad help you? Who get knows? You, you tell me. You tell me. In a different country, but apparently he's. But all I'm saying is that's always going to happen. So don't take that personally. And it would just be people either that are in the wrestling business here that are either you know envious of the success or the platform or whatever um, that will think, oh, it's only because. And I'm sure that will happen in acting too, some way. You know, oh, um, I, 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 it's it's hard to link up the dots, but trust it me. Is. Uh, so, so whether or not that's a that's a I didn't think that that ever had an effect growing up. Really, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But but it's just it is what it is. So I just accepted that a long time ago, oh, and I wow. think maybe that's why I've tried to do fields that are so far off. Well, do you know but, that's why I never yeah. brought it up because but, I thought there was no connection, right? But. I, no I just, shit. It, it always comes that way. It's know? not like, you know, your Clint Eastwood's son getting into acting. No. Arnold Schwarzenegger's no, son but, getting into bodybuilding. But but it is what it is. And in Perth, WA, dad's still a big name. So they think he's got, you know, way more pull in a lot more industries than he really does. Do you know, you know what I'm saying? So there's, <laughs> there's all this hierarchy. So it's just, it's one of those things that I've just wow. I've gotten used to it. But I, I guess that's probably why I've gone to extreme ones. Maybe even why the way I look, the way I look, because it's sort of, it's my own identity, right? So maybe that was what attracted me to lifting weights in a way too. Yeah, so like true. On a deeper level. Oh, good on you. And it's also sort of a barrier where people, you know. But you learn how to deal. You you obviously learned how to deal with that for sure. But obviously, still growing. I had a pretty good childhood. Though I can't, can't complain about anything. But obviously, you still cop a bit of flack every now and then at school from older kids or whatever. So maybe it was a bit of a barrier too, you know, a protection thing. So it's just you know, it's about being vulnerable. It is. It is. So, and learning how to so deal with that. It. Exactly. So Again, cool. another lesson. It all serves me well now, you know, <laughs> when I'm trying to reach for things. Thank you, sir. And brother. Yeah, I love having you on. And hopefully we'll get some progression. Yeah. And the bigger your career gets, 
Don't well, forget about my small podcast. Hey, maybe we're, we're neighbours. We're neighbours, man. We are neighbours. We're neighbours, Yeah. Man. So there's no excuse. True, We could do one every week if you want. Yeah, let's you catch know? up on life. That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> let's do, let's just catch up and go, okay, let's let's talk about the pain yeah. of this industry. You're right. Let's talk about the life of now and how right. people are going through it. We could do a few weeks on pain. Yeah. Pain can be pain. Pain as married men. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and what size TV have we put up <laughs> yes, in the wall? Yeah. Exactly. The frame. <laughs> the frame. Frame TV, the frame. Yeah, the frame TV. The frame. Thanks, brother. Thanks, man. <laughs>